And I remember thinking, if I can make it through performing popular for Steven Schwartz with no alphabet and no <laughs> like set pieces and he's not laughing, I can do this in front of any audience ever. <laughs> My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. You've all been asking for it. No one more than me. Kevin's been begging for it. (laughs) Today on Sentimental Men. Say it. We will be speaking with our first ever Glinda. Oh, my goodness. Kevin, how are you feeling? I'm on cloud fucking nine, Quincy. I like secretly was hoping I would get one. I don't think there was anything secret about you wanting to speak to a Glinda. There was nothing secret. No, 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 no. But I didn't want to mess with the flow, the flow that we had going. Yeah. And so then when the idea came up that like maybe we could do a thank goodness episode with a woman who's played Glinda. Uh-huh. So I'm really pumped to talk to a Glinda at all, much less to talk to a Glinda about one of my favorite songs, which is Thank Goodness. And you may be wondering, hey, Glinda has like a pretty heavy section during popular as well. Why didn't we talk to a Glinda for the popular section? And to that I say, we were still pretty fresh and pretty Mm -hmm. stuck in our framework. What is the rule about like, once you know the rules, you can break the rules? Yeah, you have to learn the rules before you can break them. That's what all my acting teachers used to say. Back to the BFA. I was just spit water all over my head. <laughs> um, yeah, so now we're at the point where, yeah, if we want to do a Glinda episode for Thank Goodness, let's do it. We do what we want. Oh, you know what, Quincy? I would say that this is the most exciting part of my week, but we had a, a really, really exciting day on Friday. How's that for a segue? So guys, imagine I'm sitting at my computer, happen to be logged in to the Sentimental Men Twitter, because I feel like, Kevin, you kind of own that more than I do, the Twitter. Sure. And so I just happen to be like looking through the notifications casually, and I glance over a tweet from Stephanie J. Block, Mm. and for whatever reason, my mind didn't like register that I was like on the Sentimental Men account, that she had mentioned us, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I closed my phone and I thought about it for a second, I was like, wait, what? And I looked and Stephanie J. Block, out of nowhere, tweeted about us. Out of nowhere. Not even just tweeted about us. She endorsed us. Gave us an ad. And yeah, and so when this happened, I was like in a Zoom meeting and I just see messages from Quincy popping up on my phone. So I'm like trying to look all discreet while I'm in this meeting. And then I see what's happening and my eyes were so big and I was trying so hard not to like have a full on attack. Wait, let's read it on air. Yeah, read the tweet. So Miss Block tweeted at Wicked the Musical fans. Are you listening to Scent Men Pod? If not, you're missing out on some incredible discussion on all things Wicked. I'm even learning a thing or two and smiling all the way through each listen. Which, when I first read it, I didn't really break it down. I was just shook by the fact that she was tweeting about our podcast. And then Kevin texted me that the with each listen language implies that she has listened to multiple episodes. 
I still have no words. It's like the craziest thing that's happened, obviously, since we started this. So we have been, I think, pretty aggressively campaigning to get SJB on the pod. But I think now we're like really kicking it into overdrive. SJB, if you're listening, we want you on. We have the episode ready. We want you on. Like, let's go. We want it. The listeners want it. The universe wants it. We hope that you want it if you're enjoying the podcast. So Stephanie J. Block followed us on Twitter pretty early on because we tagged her in one of our videos and she got a kick out of it. Yeah. So she's been following us early on and our Twitter is not as poppin', I would say right now, as like our TikTok and Instagram. (laughs) And so pretty consistently, Stephanie J. Block is like one of the three (laughs) likes on the tweets that we put out. So I kind of love the idea of her like liking another one of our tweets being like, God, only one other person is like this. I'm tired of like being the only person liking these people's tweets. (laughs) So she was like, you know what? I'm going to give them a shout out. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that like made our week, made our life. Crazy pinch me moment where we were like, wow, look at us. Yeah. Quincy, I cried on the train on the way home. I was like, it's so, I mean, it's just like, you know. Well, it's funny. I feel like we couldn't really, because I feel like when I discovered it, you were in a meeting. And then when you were able to devote some like brain space to it, I was in meetings. And it was just like, we were missing the excitement on both ends from each other. Yeah. It's just very cool. We're, we're doing a very cool thing. Okay. So before we get to stuck on SJB, part two of today. Yeah. (laughs) Kevin, I feel like, you know, I usually ramble off the resume of the guests we have coming on, but I feel like today it would be a great moment for you to do that. I would love to. So I'm really excited to talk to our guest today because Quincy, as you know, the vocals are very important to me when evaluating a Glinda because I really feel there is an incredible vocal journey built into the role. So I'm very excited to talk to today's guest because she is a graduate of the USC Thornton School of Music with a degree in vocal arts. So she is not your typical musical theater girl who, you know, she is a singer, a vocalist. So after graduating with her degree in vocal arts, she was in the opening cast of the Las Vegas production of Rock of Ages. And then she transferred to the Broadway cast of Rock of Ages in 2014. At the, what was the theater called before? Was it the Hayes? Is it the Hayes now? It was the Helen Hayes. Now it's just the Hayes, which I hate. It is cute though. The renovation is cute. The renovation is cute, but the erasure of like one of three women that have a theater named after them, not Mm. cute. And we're keeping that in. Yeah, sure. Um, So then later in 2014, she made her Wicked debut in the second national tour as Glinda for over a year. Oof. Yeah, oof. Then in 2016, she went into the Broadway company of Wicked opposite Rachel Tucker and Jennifer Noya. Now, those are some alphabas. After her Broadway run in Wicked, she went into the off-Broadway production of Cruel Intentions as Annette, which is, if you don't know, is the Reese Witherspoon part in the movie. And then in 2018, this resume is extensive. 2018 goes into the closing company of Kinky Boots as Lauren, which I actually saw her in. Oh, cute. She was great. So if you haven't figured it out by now, our guest today is Carrie St. Louis. Carrie St. Louis. And she was also supposed to be in the second stage musical Between the Lines, right? The Jodie Picoult musical? Yes. Which I was very excited for prior to the shutdown because remember that Jason Gautier song that they were kind of pushing on everyone? Yeah. Boy, do I. I loved it. And also, Julia Murney was supposed to be in that. 
everything leads back to Julia Murdy on Sentiment Pod. It's so true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's booked, busy. Yeah, she's doing really cool stuff, and I am so excited to have her as the guest today. Before Carrie gets here, can I give you a stuck on SJB? Quincy, please give me one more stuck on SJB. Let me take you back. I believe it was 2010. Okay. Stephanie J. Block is starring opposite Jason Alexander in Neil Simon and Marvin Hamlish's They're Playing Our Song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First of all, the only reason I know about this show is because back in my trading days, I got a full bootleg of this production and watched it all the way through, which I typically don't watch bootlegs all the way through because that's like kind of a hard ask. But this production, mm-hmm. I thought, was like so spectacular and it was my first exposure to the show and all this stuff. Anyways, yeah. Stephanie J. Block, towards the end of the show, I believe, sings a song called If You Remember Me. You must have seen this. I have seen it. I have. She has the headphones on. She has like the oversized boho denim shirt. She's sitting mm-hmm. in front of the music stand. It is so good. First of all, vocals there. But the acting is so good. She's glassy-eyed the whole time. I thought I saw a tear fall. I wasn't positive though, so I wasn't sure if I wanted to say that on the record, but I'm pretty sure we're getting real tears from her. I wouldn't put it past her. There's a part towards the end where like she's getting overwhelmed with like the emotion of the song. It's a it's like a sad song. Yeah. And she like starts like tugging and fidgeting at her collar, and I'm just like, oh acting. She is so it's good. So good. I watched it again in like preparation for this because I was like, oh, we need to talk about this. Yeah. She's just tapped in in such an authentic, genuine way. Yeah. It's if you haven't watched the bootleg, one will post it, but also just watch it because Yeah. A true masterclass from Miss Block. And it, it's so funny. I feel like every stuck on SJB, we have this conversation where we're like, she's so good at this style and she's so good at golden age. And then but with this, it's like, you know, they're playing our song in falsettos or, you know, kind of in the same world as well. And it's, so it's like, oh, you're also so good at this. Like you're good at this stage of contemporary musical theater and you're good at the later stage of contemporary musical theater and you're good at jukebox musical contemporary musical theater. It's all... She's a chameleon. A chameleon. Stephanie J. Block is the Meryl Streep of Broadway. Uh, he said it. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree. That's not getting cut. That's not getting cut. You're on record for the rest of your life, having said that. <laughs> so yeah, that's my talk on SJV. Go watch it. It's A+++. A it's a good, 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 good one. Kevin. Yeah? I think it's time for Kevin's Glinda episode. <laughs> Carrie St. Louis, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> we are so thrilled to have you here. Our first Glinda. Yes. First Glinda. Wow. I'm the, I'm, can I say this? I'm popping the Glinda cherry. <laughs> you are popping it. Yes. Popping the Glinda bubble, maybe. Maybe that's the PG. Oh, oh my gosh. Popping the Glinda bubble. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Perfect. All right, so we start every interview by asking, when did Wicked come into your life? Not necessarily as an actress, but what is your first touch point with Wicked the Musical? Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, I was always, I loved musical theater since I was, since I can remember. Um, And I first saw Wicked at the Pantages Theater. I'm from Palm Desert, California. So we used to, my parents used to drive me into Los Angeles to see the tours as they came through the Pantages. Mm-hmm. And it was Megan Hilty. And I just yeah. remember her coming on stage and immediately thinking, oh, that's me. I have to do that someday. That, that is me. Actually, full circle moment, when I got Glinda on the tour, 
um, they they take some time to get your co costumes made because um, uh -huh. they're custom. And I got Megan Hilty's popular shoes. So I was quite literally walking in Megan Hilty's shoes when I first started out as Glinda, which is oh, such a full circle moment for me. That's so cute. I love that. So I wore her shoes for a while until mine were, uh, my custom Leducas were made. Not the custom Leducas. Yeah. What a Broadway sentence. My custom Leducas. My custom Leducas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty cool. And then I auditioned for the role in college. I remember they had a, you know, casting directors came through uh, LA and they told me my feedback was that they thought I was more of a Nessa Rose. Interesting. And I think it's because I was just so heartfelt about it all. Like I remember the scene, you do the scene before popular and the part where Glinda says that may be your secret alphabet, but that doesn't make it true. I was full blown tears. I mean, I was yeah. going <laughs> for it, giving you a Tony performance. And they were like, I don't think she cares that much. <laughs> care. They said she's, she's too emotional. We think she's more of a Nessa Rose. So I waited until I had seen the show again. And then when, when I went in the next time, years, years down the road, it happened. You're a little more ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, this time I'm not going to be Nezza Rose at all. <laughs> but yeah, then I went through it all the rounds. Um, when I was in Rock of Ages on Broadway, I was playing Sherry and um, right. for my audition. And six rounds later. Six rounds. Okay. Yeah. So can you walk us through the audition process for Glinda? Because we've talked to a lot of Alphaba, so it feels like we have a very solid understanding of what those women are doing when they go in. Right. But we have no context for Glinda. I just, we, you do the popular scene and the popular song, which is so awkward because you're doing a, a you know, a scene and a song <laughs> where you have no Alphaba to work with, no props, nothing. And, and you're trying to make these people, you know, the creative team laugh after 13 years of seeing this yeah, um, without looking like an insane person. Like <laughs> nothing will ever be as terrifying for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you do that and you do the opening and you do the fallen house scene, which is the scene where... Um, the cat fight scene. The cat fight scene, yes. And I went through, I think my initial audition was just for the associate director, Lisa. And I had been called in with a group of people. I wasn't, it wasn't an open call. Mm -hmm. Okay. And actually, luckily for me, I had said to my agent the week before that I wanted to go in for Wicked. And yeah. at the time I was in Rock of Ages, but I was an opera major in college. Yeah. Rock oh, of yeah. Ages was kind of a crazy departure world. And... I was getting called in for only rock shows. And mm. I kept thinking, like, I am just faking it till I make it. Like, I, this is not actually my bread and butter. I would so much rather be singing some soprano stuff and, um, and showing that. And so I said to her the week before the audition came out that I really wanted to go in for Wicked. And she said, well, we don't want you to go on tour. You just got to Broadway. We don't want, you know, you just got here. And I yeah. said, I don't care if it's tour. I still, I want to play this role. I need to play this role. And then of course, yeah. I mean, Pretty much every Glinda, Kara before me, Amanda Jane Cooper after me, we all went to tour, followed each other, and then followed each other to Broadway. That was just sort of the sequential. And I think yeah. it's smart. It gives you enough time to figure out who your Glinda is and how your Glinda works. And you get yeah. much more of a rounded idea of her from being on tour just because every city has different 
the audience reacts to different jokes. They think different things are funny. It's it's just a, such a learning experience. Plus, you get to figure it out without all the pressure of being Glinda on Broadway, which is right. the highest pressure situation ever. Um, yeah. Wait, so backtracking a little, you went to school for vocal performance. Was musical theater always what you wanted to do? Or were you like, I'm going to be an opera singer? What was that? So... I had been doing musical theater since I was younger and out of singing, dancing and acting, I was always the singer, you know, that was singing was always the thing that I was most interested in that I was, you know, kind of leaned on. I think everyone has one of the three that they're, they feel the most confident in singing was that for me. And I went to a prep school on the East coast for high school. You lived in dorms and there were required study hours and I didn't have time to do both theater and music it was really hard because there just weren't enough hours in the day. So I was kind of the music kid. And as a result, I started taking voice lessons at Boston University in their opera department. And so it kind of, I just kind of got guided that way. It was like, oh, you're an amazing singer. You should do classical music. It was, it was just sort of, that's where a, a lot of good training comes from is having that strong technical training. Yeah. But then about two years into, I went to USC, uh, the University of Southern California and the Thornton School of Music as an mm -hmm. opera major. And about two years in, I realized I really missed theater and I was doing the student run musicals. And then my senior year, I got so lucky. Jason Robert Brown was in Los Angeles working on Bridges of Madison County. Uh -huh. And he was a guest professor at USC and he auditioned for his class. It was 10 of us. We got three hours every Friday masterclass with Jason for an entire semester. Wow. And right away he was like, this is what you should be doing. And really gave me that confidence boost of, oh, okay. Yeah. I love music. I mean, I was studying opera and then belting show tunes in the car on my way home. You know, I was like, why am I, why am I not doing this? I'm such a ham bone. Like his confidence in that really helped me. And then um, there's a competition in Los Angeles called LA's next great stage star. She <laughs> <laughs> did not win. I did not, but yeah, I did that. And it was a six week competition. And through that, I got my agent uh, and then three months out of college, I booked Rock of Ages, like in seemingly wow. a fluke. Like I did everything wrong in the audition. I did everything wrong. I had no idea what I was doing. My parents were like, don't go to that audition. You're going to blow out your voice. Like you're not a rock yeah. singer. And then, yeah, three months out of college, I packed my bags and was a fake Broadway stripper in Las Vegas yeah. singing rock every night. And then I made my Broadway debut doing that. So it's just such a weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Kevin has a theory. Yes, yeah, so I have a, a theory based on my, what I have observed is that there is a certain type of belter that comes from being a soprano first. Like there's a certain level of support that that is there. Yes, you are so um, indicative of that because I I knew that you were a you know a vocal performance major and that the soprano is bread and butter right. perhaps. Yeah, but your chest voice and your belt are so rich and supported and yummy. Um, and Quincy and I were just talking about when you sang In His Eyes with Caroline Bowman. Ugh. First of all, Caroline Bowman. Caroline Bowman. I could gush about her all day. I love her. My queen. Yes, we love <laughs> her. But we were talking about that video and your belt in that video. Do you feel like your training as an opera major better prepared you for this career that you've ended up in where you're singing rock and singing contemporary musical theater and yes a hundred percent i'm a vocal coach i was doing this when i was in kinky boots i would teach you know a lesson in the morning 
go do the matinee, run home, teach a second in between shows. I mean, teaching is a passion of mine and always has been. I love that. Because I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think so much of it too is, is looking at it from the perspective of the belt is not a register of your voice. Yes. It's your chest voice and your head voice and belting and mixing are techniques you use to get between the two. And mm-hmm. I think I was very fortunate to have witnessed both sides of that. Like I was mm-hmm. not in a full belt in Rock of Ages. No way, Jose, I would never make it through yeah. eight shows a week. And so I found a way to place all of those sounds, right? And yeah. um, make them sound like huge rock notes without hurting myself. And so when I got to Wicked, it was actually kind of, it felt way easier because the way that Glinda's written, you never spend too long in either part of the voice. So if your belt, if your beltier, chestier notes start to get a little more tired, the next phrase, she's up in the stratosphere again. And so you can kind of lean on both sides without one getting more tired than the other. Um, And you can Mm -hmm. kind of find a happy way of mixing them all or belting them all. And depending on how I was feeling, you know, some nights I'd really, you know, bitches, you guys didn't know you cross until you cross. And I like cry (laughs) with so much chest. Or if I was not feeling that great, I could just add a little more head voice in there and just keep it a little lighter. And we've got you on the soundboard. And I feel like this is something that needs to be talked about more. Mm -hmm. What you hear is so different from what is actually being sung on stage. We've got microphones, we've got, you know, audio engineers that this is their job. You've got an orchestra, you've got, they will amp you up in the moments you need to be amped up in. You don't need to do that yourself. So I I, I felt really lucky that I had that. And thank you for saying that. Oh, thank you for doing it. To piggyback on that, I feel like the the role of Glinda has so many styles within it because you get that kind of operetta sound, you get the contemporary belt, you're yodeling, mm-hmm. like you're, <laughs> she's high, she's low, she's like everything. Right. Did you feel in your audition process like they were testing you for all of that or did you feel more singularly focused on? No, I think they do. And, and why I say that, it was super interesting to me because coming from a classical background, I came in and was mm-hmm. like, let us make a little like I was like, you know, going full <laughs> opera land on them. And yeah, we they, love it. <laughs> they wanted me to pull it back. They were like, speak it poppier. We want it to sound poppier. We want it to be uh-huh. less That's interesting. you know, operatically, because we no one can tell what you're saying up there. You have to it has to be more like sort of streamlined. And so I had to immediately switch into a poppier high poppy mixy place which is hard to do when all you've been practicing is that covered happy happy spot Uh so i do feel like they were testing a little bit also glinda's just a little more elevated a little bit higher resonance pocket here and this i mean from talking to me my voice sits low i'm kind of a vocal fryer speaker so a lot of it is like keeping everything lifted a la Ariana Grande, who's never putting any, she's just like, thank you so much. I am not using my vocal power for speaking. I will use it only for singing. Thank you. I love it. That's kind of what you have to like adapt as Glinda is that it's just constantly lifted. I love the Ariana Grande reference. (laughs) Because Glinda is like one moment she's operatic, the next minute she's belting. Was it not difficult to go between the two? No, not really. And that, again, that's, that's training. And that's just having that wheelhouse of, I had gotten so used to learning how to belt 
but it's whiny. I don't know. If I sing, is it going to blow this out if I sing something? No, please sing. I don't think I'm a rock singer, right? But I can add a rock effect to my voice. It's still the same placement. Mm -hmm. So my example is if I go, just a small town girl living in a lonely world. You're like, that is not a rock singer. That is Glinda (laughs) singing Don't Stop Believing, right? That exact same placement, I'm just going to add an effect at the end. And it sounds way rockier, way beltier, but it's the same pocket of space in my face. So yeah. I'm going to go, just a small town girl living in a lonely world. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just, it's the same thing. So I think I figured that placement out in my voice and it got me through two years of rock of ages in the desert that by the time I was Glinda I was like oh this is where my voice naturally wants to go now I just don't have to add an effect to it and my voice teacher um at the time was Dan Michike who's the conductor on Broadway he was the associate conductor on the road and he was like I teach voice lessons I'd love to help you with this spot because it was driving me crazy and it was in the opening when she goes and goodness knows the wicked's lives are lonely. I couldn't figure it out. I first was trying to do it too operatically and it was like, goodness knows. It was so dark and awful. Yeah. And then I tried to really chest it and it was way too big. I mean, I, I swear, I think we had like six lessons of just working wow. on that spot and really manipulating it and finding which how to get into the placements. And then over yeah. time, then it was like my constant thing with myself is, I don't know if you guys have heard Louise Dearman sing that section. Oh, have we? He's like, the wicked die! Yeah. Oh, gives it to you. <laughs> it's iconic. Okay, so on the note of Louise Dearman. Yes. You have the voice to play Alphaba or Glinda, realistically. Thank you. <laughs> So has Alphaba ever been on the radar? Why was Glinda the go-to when you were going into audition? I mean, look at me. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate you saying that. I think when I was in Wicked, I probably would have been like, oh, no, no, no. You know, I think now I have a much better idea of it all and where it all sits. And, you know, as you get older, you sort of, your relationship with your voice grows and uh, you get to know it better. I mean, honestly, when I was in college, you guys, not gonna lie, I was that girl that was like, yeah, I think one day I'll just be a swing for the kid and I'll be both Elphaba and Glinda, you know, and swing both. And then once I was in it, I was like, that's not, a, that's literally not a thing. That's not a thing, yeah. I can't believe I still have friends. <laughs> I mean, I would love one day to come back and be Elphaba. I think that would be so cool, but it's also a lot of pressure. Elphaba's a lot. Yeah. And um, I don't know. So kind of putting your like voice teacher head on. Yeah. Objectively, is either role a harder sing? Mm. I think Elphaba's harder, but it's interesting because I remember talking to um, the musical director at the time about it. And I was like, how it must be so hard to find Elphaba's. And he was like, no, it is way harder to find Glinda's because an Elphaba needs to be able to sing and you you need to be able to tell that it's healthy, right? I think that a Uh lot of Elphaba's come in and they just blow it all out. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing performance. I don't think you could do that eight times a week. And so I think they more look for people that they go, okay, they're going to be able to do this night after night after night. And this will get stronger. It's sustainable. Yeah. But basically he said for Elphaba's, they just have to be able to get angry and be upset and have a big, powerful powerhouse voice. Right. Yeah. Linda's have to be able to sing soprano. 
They have to be able to do the belty part mm-hmm. and they have to be funny and charming in a role mm-hmm. where you're not the underdog. Kevin has been harping this point since we started the podcast. I truly have been. I don't think she's a bitch. I think she comes from a very close-minded world where she has no other perspective and she learns that mm-hmm. through the show and that's what's beautiful about her journey is like realizing she was wrong and that she just didn't know better. Right. Yeah. And I venture to say that like Glinda's journey act 2 is equally as heartbreaking i'll say it with you like everything she's ever thought she wanted yeah nothing is as it she always dreamed it would be and it's all like she's just like oh this is not what i wanted quincy and i fight about this all the time we just recently had a big disagreement where i was saying in defying gravity that choice that glinda makes is just as difficult as the one that alphaba is making well, yeah because she's sitting there going i know this is wrong but i like, I don't, I have to do, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree yeah, with you. I'm right there. It's so nice to have backup in this ongoing conversation. That's what I'm saying, where it's like, if your friend is like, hey, we just learned that this situation is a bad situation, so we got to get out of here. And you're like, no, I'm actually going to stay. Like, that objectively. No, I know. This is what I always say, is that these are teenage girls, right? right? Like, these are college students. And Elphaba's whole life, she's been a disappointment to people, and Glinda has never done anything that she wasn't expected to do. And so, like, for your first act of rebellion to be, like, flipping off the government and flying away on a broomstick, like, that's a big, that's a big ask for somebody's first rebellion 100% like come with me jump on this broomstick it's like what are you talking about (laughs) like she's never even seen a broomstick fly you know when that happens Glinda's like oh okay and then she's like cool let's just jump on it together exactly yeah (laughs) all right Glinda girls yeah I know (laughs) in the same way and this is like I'm gonna digress super quick and we'll totally get back on we love a digression so I've been I've been coaching a lot of Wicked and it was interesting because it was the first time I was really coaching Elphaba songs I coach Glinda Mm. stuff all the time because I do workshops you know Glinda workshops blah 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 and a lot of my students were singing, I'm not that girl. And a lot of them mm-hmm. were playing it very sad. And mm-hmm. I don't see that as a sad song at all. I think mm-hmm. that what okay. Elphaba is saying in that moment is first she's saying, she recognizes that they have a connection, right? Like she, right off the bat, um, what are the first lines? Uh, hands touch. Hands touch, eyes, eyes meet. Sudden silence, sudden heat. Like hearts leap in a giddy world. She doesn't yeah, say that's... one heart leaps, she says hearts. She's aware. Yeah that they are both feeling this. Wow. I liken it to if I met a politician who was like, my main goal in life is to become the president of the United States. I'm not ever going to be the first lady of the United States. There's too much dirt on me. I don't want that position. (laughs) I don't want that life. Like, I don't, you know, it's just like not what I'm looking to do. And I think Alphaba is looking at Glinda and going, and and Fiero and going, I'm not, that's not the life I'm going to be in. Like, it's not like he's just going to mm-hmm. all of a sudden be like, cool, here she is. She's green. Everyone get over it. Like she's they're in college. <laughs> I think Elphaba so practical that she's like, you don't have time to like follow this thing and just mm-hmm. get disappointed in the end. You're not going to be the girl that lives this life. Right. Yeah. That's not the life I was meant to lead. So mm-hmm. I'm going to forget about this because I've got other things to do. I have too much to do. I think she's practical. Yeah. And when you think about yeah. it, she never goes after Fiero. 
No, he just comes back. So I think it's not sad. I think it's just like, yeah, there's the girl yeah. he chose. And heaven knows I'm not that girl. I'm not ever going to be that girl. Carrie, you're rocking my world right now. Who knew we'd get an I'm not that girl analysis? I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually a good question. We hear a lot about like alphabuzz and the riffing and like all of the options and choices. And then the absence of that has become known as like a score alphabet. Is every Glinda like a score Glinda? Because it seems from the outside like there is not room to play. Yes. But I, I, I'm interested to hear what Elphabuzz have said because I feel like they're they're pretty they don't love the Elphabuzz playing too much in the sandbox. It has kind of depended on when they were Alphaba. Because the some of the earlier ones were like, oh yeah, like they let me kind of like try mm-hmm. some things and they would tell me yes or no but the recent girls are all like they in rehearsal they gave me three options and they said you can choose i think because it was a little bit like they they gave it away the the people abused the power a little bit there and then they got their back um yeah i don't think so with glinda i mean i remember there's like the ali mozzie option up high stuff and like there were some times where I would do it and then there were other times where I didn't do it and I would come out stage and people would be like we heard it and I'm like that's called an overtone that was everybody was so spot on with the choruses like the harmonies were so tight sometimes that it I would hear it and I wouldn't be singing it I do think the thing the editing with Glinda's is comedic editing there was quite a bit of that like you're allowed to make choices within parameters and I would try new things and sometimes they were sometimes they were applauded and sometimes they were like, no, too far. Yeah, what is popular like in that regard? They'll tell you if you've gone too far. Um, it's hard. I mean, popular is hard because like I said, a lot of these Glinda girls were, ha- were clowns. Like we'll literally do anything for a laugh. <laughs> and so there is work to be done in editing that and knowing when it's gone too much. And I, I am definitely one of those people that like, I get one laugh and I'm like, cool. Okay. Well, I'm a, you know, and it's, you gotta, you gotta be kind of classy about it. You can't just give them every joke ever. Well, that's another question we had about Glinda because it feels like a role that's very easy to kind of fly off the rails with. How do you kind of keep her as a real person? I think just whenever I would start to feel like that, it's it's just remembering the story. And honestly, mm-hmm. it's such a well-written show. You don't have to really do anything for it to succeed, for it to be a good show. Yeah. And so whenever I felt myself getting too, you know, going this far past the dial, I would just be like, go yeah. back to what is written. Just go back to what is written. Just say mm-hmm. what is written. Just be, just do it honestly. Because um, it's funnier that way. Things are so much funnier when they're honest. The like, I know that's what makes me so nice. She genuinely means that. If you say it with yeah. no, nothing else, just, I know that's what makes me so nice. It's so much funnier. Or whenever yeah. I see someone less fortunate than I, and let's face it, who isn't less fortunate than I, like missing that completely and how <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it funny. So I think every time I felt myself getting clowny, I just go, just say it straight and it'll be funny. I love that. Um, we have two questions and then we want to talk about thank goodness. Number one is, can you just talk us through um, what happened between tour and Broadway? Like, was that a re-audition? Was that... Yeah, I know it's different for everybody. It's so interesting. People are like, well, yeah. what, what is the process? And I'm like, it's... 
different for every single person I've talked to. That's why we like to ask because we like to like know what happened for everyone. So the one for the tour was like about six rounds and every other round was just a work session with me and Lisa. So she would tell me what Mm -hmm. they actually want to see. And then, and then also I think for them, it's to see how easily you pick up on notes, how you respond, like how, if they can work with you, um, cause it's a yeah. lot, it's a lot and you need a lot of help in the beginning. And if you're, yeah. if you're the type of actor that is not willing to accept any help or willing to compromise what your vision of it is, it wicked is not the show for you. There, there is an element <laughs> of like, you got to play by the rules and you also have to be, you have to be able to interpret it to work for you. And that, and that is yeah. what makes it special. Yeah. But yeah, so I joined the tour Oh my gosh. So I found out and I had to put my month's notice in like right away at Rock of Ages. And so my final week in Rock of Ages on Broadway, I was rehearsing from nine to five for Wicked, then going and doing Rock of Ages (gasps) on Broadway. Uh I finished my last show on Sunday and on Monday I joined the tour. Oh my God. Which was crazy. Were you excited? That's double duty with two humongous roles. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, but I was fine. I vocally was fine. So that was like, I have the technique. She's good. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Okay. Too easy. Thank you, USC. So I joined the tour. I was on tour for around, I think it was six months at this point. And I had a nine month contract that I knew I was on and they come Mm -hmm. out and check in constantly mm-hmm. yeah and luckily enough for me joe mantello came out afterwards we all had a cast meeting where we were all sitting in this room and he was like mm-hmm. where where's glinda right away like the first and i was like <laughs> but also like it doesn't have to be me if you don't want it to be me yeah. like, it can also... i'm your glinda if you want me to be your glinda <laughs> if you're into it if you're not like i'm not her i don't know who that girl is i'm not that girl anyways <laughs> he was like you have impeccable comedic timing and you guys Gorgeous. i can't even it was like my heart fell out of my stomach like i was like thank you and like just like continued on and like you know he had notes of course and things like that but like I never I will never forget that as long as I live so I knew that he had said that then they ordered me a new bubble dress which I don't know if you guys have heard this but like when they order you a new dress there's this like you're like okay that's a $16,000 dress she's sticking around you know and everyone at this time too is like who are they going to take to Broadway? What's going to happen? Like where, how long is Kara's contract? How long is built? Like everyone's kind of, you're always on, on top of it. Whispering. Yeah. And my agent had told them that they, she wanted me to be, to do it on Broadway. And he was like, we send them out on tour. That's where they learn. That's what we're doing with Kara. And then six months in, I got a phone call from my agent just being like, so you're the new Glenn on Broadway. And you guys, I mean, it was so crazy because I was living in a house at the time with my Elphaba, the Bach, and I couldn't tell them. Funny story about that. Remind me about how everyone found out I was on Broadway because it was not from me. Oh my God. It was from my cousin. (laughs) So I, I took my dog for a long walk and I called my parents and I was just like sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And then that night I did the show knowing I was going to be Glenn on Broadway and I couldn't tell anybody. Were you feeling your oats that performance? Like you were like, oof, I'm Broadway's Glenda. Oh my God. I was like, I am Broadway. I am Broadway. (laughs) You people in Cleveland have no idea what you're watching. So I was, I mean, I was so excited, but for weeks I had to lie to everybody. They'd be like, have you heard anything? And I'd be like, no, I haven't. And yeah, but they had, they had said, we want to extend you for another four months so that you do a year. 
And then we're going to give you, you know, about like three weeks off and then you're going to come to Broadway. Okay. So tell us the cousin story. Oh, so um, have you guys heard of the backstage blonde, Teal? Yes. Yes. So yeah. dresser Teal was working at, at Wicked and matched with my cousin on a dating app. And my cousin oh, so. saw that he worked at Wicked and was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. My cousin is Glinda, is going to be Glinda. And she was like, wait, who's your cousin? And he was like, Carrie St. Louis. And then she went to the theater and was like, it's Carrie St. Louis. Carrie St. Louis is going to be Glinda. We all know it's happening. And that was how everyone found out. Backstage oh, blonde broke the news. It's really funny. It's like, of course, you know. And he like worked oh, in finance. So he has funny. no idea. And I'm like, meanwhile, I had been keeping this. Like, I was like, mom, dad, I don't even know if you guys can tell grandma. Like, I don't know. I'm too afraid, yes. you know? Wow. Yeah. So I went pretty much straight through. Okay. So before we move into thank goodness. Yes. Kevin and I play a game with our alphabas where we believe that they're either uh, Wizard and I, Defying Gravity, or No Good Deed Alphaba. And that can ultimately mean whatever it wants to the actor. Okay. So we think it'd be fun to play with you. Are you uh, No One Mourns the Wicked, popular, or thank goodness, uh, not Alphabet, Glinda? Okay, 100% thank goodness. 100%. Yeah. I was shocked that thank goodness was not in the audition because I think it is the hardest song for Glinda to sing. Vocally, Mm -hmm. definitely, because it rides that break area really closely mm-hmm. and again it's that teetering of do you full belt do you pull away and then there's mm-hmm. the high note at the end it's very it's rangy that song but also mm-hmm. it's like it's the first time that glinda is not putting on a show for anybody she has to show you what she's going through but also maintain a face to everyone in front of her like mm-hmm. the yeah, breakdown yeah, yeah, yeah. is happening fully happening and she has to stay composed. And I think it's like, it shows how strong she is and how like, how trained she is at being in front of people and being able to like, do that. Yeah. You're thank goodness. You give me a very Kendra Cassabom, thank goodness. Oh. Where mm-hmm. like, I think your Glindas are actually similar in where you both like sit lower as like a person, yeah. I think in your yeah. vocal mm-hmm. register. But Kendra belted the end. That last yeah. thank goodness was a belt. And yeah. you also yeah, do I that. also do that. I would I would growl. Oh my God. I loved, I love growl, growl. thank goodness. I couldn't be happier. I loved, oh my God. I would, I would go, it's I would go so, so hard. Good. Sometimes I'd be like, oh God, pull it down, pull it down. It, it's the moment where she goes like, no, you know what? No, no. I work too hard for this. Like, I know I'm happy is what happens when all your dreams come true. And then she goes, isn't it? Yeah. There's that moment where she's like, right? And then she goes, no, it is. It is. And we'll make it yeah. so. Because Glinda's not the type of person to just be like, oh, the world's against me. She's like, no, no. This transitioned perfectly into our thank goodness discussions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's why when you wrote me and you were like, we want to talk thank goodness. I was like, wow, oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So Kevin and I were talking before you came in about how Glinda has an incredible arc in the show. But in the course of this, like, I don't even know how long, 10, 12 minute segment of thank goodness, she goes, at least in my perspective, from like faking excitement yeah. to maybe realizing what she did was wrong to fully coming to terms. Mm-hmm. So I guess one, is that your journey that you went through? And two, can you speak to that arc that happens? The first thing is, this is the start of act two. Mm-hmm. All of this time has passed in intermission that no, no, the audience doesn't see. When Glinda shows up in act two, she's she's older. She's been through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to go through those things in your head because to end up 
where she is at that moment, right? It's not just like, oh, curtain right. back up and we're back in the story. Like years have passed. Um, and now yeah, she's right. in charge. She's not a college student. But what I always thought was the one line where she says, Fiero, like you have been looking for her, but we can't just stop living. Mm-hmm. I feel like she knows. She has known. Mm-hmm. She knows he loves Elphaba. He, she knows. But she's like, we can't do anything about it. Like there's nothing we can do about it. Like, and I, I always thought that I feel like, I think Fiero loves Glinda. I think they love each other a oh, lot. Yeah. And I think it's that kind of marriage where it's like, we're, they're like really good friends. I always felt that yeah. way. I feel like he loves her and respects her, but it's not, totally. it's not the once in a lifetime love. It's not, and he remembers that one, when their hands touched over the bear cage or uh, lion cub cage, Sudden silence, sudden heat, honey. Silence, sudden heat, honey. Yep. And I think for Glinda, she knows that by this point. She gets back up. And I think it's that moment of like, it's devastating because Mm -hmm. she knows she's lost him. Yeah. But she also knows that he was never hers to begin with. And she's known that. Who do you think is more on her mind in that last section? Elphaba or Fiero? Ooh, Quincy with this question. I never thought it was Elphaba. I always thought it was Fiero. I wonder if changing it to Elphaba in your brain, in my brain, or as if I was playing Glinda, I wonder how that would color it. Because that is a really interesting way of looking at it. I never thought that, though. Yeah. I think for me, it was just the crumbling of, for instance, I spoke to a Broadway actress one time who was nominated for a Tony Award. Greatest dream of any of our, you know, you can only imagine for creating a role that she was amazing in. And I was like, how are you? Because this is, I can only imagine, I think Tony Awards seem very glamorous. It's, it sounds to me like the most exhausting process in the world. And she looked at me and just looked so sad and just said, it's just really hard when it's everything I ever wanted and nothing at all like I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what is happening to Glenda and thank goodness. Yeah. Some, one of the more more tragic things about this song is that it's just like a lot of Alphabas say like, oh, no good deed is the part where Alphabas like, you know what? Right. I'm done. I'm doing things the way I want to do them. And this is kind of the start of that for Glinda. Cause like you said, so much happens over intermission that we meet her in act two and she's exhausted. Yeah. She's just like, I have been doing this, the, yeah. the smiley, happy, whatever I'm told for all of this time. Yeah everything else has been happening and then that drives you to that like sexy cool moment where you're crossing the stage and you're like you know what i'm not right. that girl right i'm we're we're done with this smiley perky yeah tell her her sister's under a house that'll get her here like it, it really drives you to this like breaking point yeah I think it even happens at by the end of Thank Goodness. I feel like she doubled down on being like, no, ooh, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, because it ends on a high note. This literally, but like the song ends on a high note. (laughs) She's like raging. Like, I'm gonna no, you know what? I'm doubling down. Like, this is the happiest I've ever been. I'm so happy. Yeah. Like, she's reached a breaking point of like, just okay, go be with her then. Like, why, like, why are we doing Mm -hmm. this? It hurts me every time you leave home at night to go look for her again. That hurts me. Like, then you're not here with me living our life that we're building. Like, what about me in this moment? That was sort of what I always felt 
I'm getting emotional <laughs> from this. <laughs> That's why I love that song so much because so I felt good. like it was like one moment where you really get that from Glinda. I know. I can't wait to go listen to the song again now. <laughs> like truly, like I feel like you really busted Glinda open for me at least. Oh, oh my God. I mean, I think Glinda, yeah, she's, I, I, I feel a lot of things about her. Me too, girl. I would always say, I don't think she's bitchy. I think she's misunderstood. And I think she's naive. Yes. And honestly, I got to give it to Katie Rose Clark because I saw Katie Rose Clark do, thank goodness. And I felt like Katie Rose Clark's act two her mature glinda is the blueprint is a master class it's so good and there was, there was just such a level of elegance it's a, it's a person who is good at being in the public eye but mm-hmm. like everything in their world can be crumbling and you would never know it because that's they're just they're yeah. like tenacious and i felt like she that level of glinda i was like that's what i want with my act two I love that we got uh, Katie Rose Clark into this conversation. Also. Katie Rose Clark forever and ever, amen. I, I was <laughs> in Fallen House. Hero draws a gun on Glinda, guys. He literally points a gun at Glinda. Which, yeah, if you're Glinda, is gonna wreck you. I've never thought of that. No, <laughs> the person you have been in a relationship with, he pulls a gun on you in order to save Alphaba. Horrible. That's horrible therapy for years if you think about it from her perspective right we know what alphabet's been up to we know alphabet's like doing fighting the good fight and doing all these things and she's a good person yes but like from glinda's perspective she has not seen alphabet since alphabet was like jump on my broomstick let's go away she has not seen her in years and meanwhile all of this time glinda has been working her butt off to be, to do, to actually probably do good in the long run. I think she like wants to get yeah. power to do good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From her perspective, it's like, could you do anything worse to me? Like what, I don't understand. Like <laughs> what did I do to deserve this from both of you? Nothing. She didn't do anything to deserve it. Wow, Carrie. <laughs> no. I, I don't know. I just think like from that perspective, it's so jarring. It's like, I can't even imagine. You're like, are you, you're the worst friend in the entire world, A. You abandoned me when I needed you the most and you never called. You never even said sorry. Yeah. And then to the man that I've been with this for six years, giving you all of my love and affection, like we, you are my best friend in the entire world who took right. Elphaba's place when she left me. You are now leaving yeah. me. And the two of you are going to go off together and I'm going to be here leading everybody else. Like girl's been through it. Girl needs a drink. You know? <laughs> I'm so glad that you came on this podcast and shared this side of the story, because even from my alphabet centric point of view, I'm going to say that I feel like we've been telling one side and like, this has really made me empathize with Glinda a lot more. Carrie, thank you for helping me achieve this. That's the job of the Glindas though. The people playing Glinda, like if you're telling one person's story, you have to know what you actually think the story is in their brain like yeah. mm-hmm. that's you can't just jump into act two and be like oh we moved on to the next part of the show carrie thank you so much for coming and chatting with us so chatty. Carrie, this was good stuff this was good stuff good stuff good well, stuff you guys had really good questions and i really appreciate i don't i well, i haven't talked about this in a long time but <laughs> well we're glad that you came to talk about it with us Carrie, where can people find you online? Uh, well, www.carriesaintlouis.com. Oh, she's got a website. My dad bought that website domain when I was 13, and I was like, LOL. He knew. Thank, Thank you, you, Dad. Uh, and, or at 
Carrie St. Louis on Instagram, um, or I have at the Carrie St. Louis studio is my vocal studio. And yeah, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about teaching and teaching voice. And I have a full studio and love that. Yeah. So if anyone's interested in taking voice lessons, they can find me there. Awesome. Awesome. Yay! <laughs> Carrie, thank you so much. This was so great. Of course. Thanks for ch- chatting with me. I, this, what a great idea for a podcast i think it's break it down like there's just i mean i feel like we get asked the same questions over and over and over again you know what's your favorite costume in the show what's your favorite song in the show you know that kind of stuff right to be able to just look hone in on one part of it is really helpful and different and i think yeah Yeah. well and thank you for tackling kind of the whole show in one in one sitting with us that was good yeah here's how i feel about i'm not that girl for (laughs) and here's what i think about i mean i was just like have some it'll make it in it'll make it in we loved it all right i'll talk to you guys later all right bye Bye. thank you carrie that was so much fun how are you feeling kevin i feel so happy and thankful that you let me have this as a treat being as i am so (laughs) alphabocentric i was truly shocked at how invested i was getting in glinda's journey me too there were a couple times when i would like inhale to ask a question and before i could even get the first word out you'd be like okay but so then what about this and i was like okay quincy (laughs) i did have a moment though where i was like oh i should have i should have like let kevin feel his oats a little more no 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 i trust and believe my oats are felt (laughs) i mean it was just like a really phenomenal conversation i thought yeah carrie you were amazing Mm. to talk to and on pretty short notice too and i thought that she like showed up and turned out a really awesome interview for us let's let's do this like outro banter a little differently i want to interview you kevin me (laughs) did you know you were gonna do this 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 came to me in the moment this is spontaneous so wicked entered my life when i was there What would you say of everything we talked about was the most like aha moment for you? The bit when she was talking about how thank goodness is the only moment Glinda is not putting on a show for somebody. Mm -hmm. I guess like in the nature of like the circumstances, she is like putting on a mask to the Ozian ensemble, but to the audience. And I definitely think that could be a thing that changes depending on the actress's take on the role. Because I remember we were kind of talking about how the song starts in like, a, oh, oh, what a celebration. We're so excited, happy. And then slowly Glinda like realizes or come to, comes to terms with the reality of her situation. Yeah. But then Carrie's point of view is kind of more, you know, Glinda's there from the start of Thank Goodness. Yeah. You know what I, I think kind of feeds into that too? Is like, I'm never sure how much time that has has been because in the book if you like map it out that's like a decade or so it's mm-hmm. it's like a long time i think talking to carrie she kind of made it feel like oh it, it, there's this is a significant amount of time that's passed i th- i think she said six years at one point yeah. um which like so then i'm like okay so if you're six years into like pretending that this relationship is working okay yeah you are there when the song starts but i think that maybe a glinda who whose choice is that it's only been a year or two. Maybe the choice there is like, oh, this is the first time she's realizing it. Whereas Carrie sounded more like this is the hundredth time that she's realizing this, but maybe it's the first time she's accepting it as, mm-hmm. as what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Blew my mind. She, mm. 
what was the most because i felt like there are a lot of moments where your minds came together on things yeah what was that what was the biggest moment of that um i think the biggest moment was to hear someone who has walked in the glittery glittery shoes of glinda confirm my belief that like the styles are so important to this role like to hear and to see like even as early as the audition i did think the whole conversation we had about like which role is vocally harder and how alphaba is the vocally harder role but glinda is the harder role to cast i think is a really interesting like dichotomy i think that's a perfect thesis statement for what we're doing with this podcast quincy (laughs) Alphaba is the hardest sing on Broadway. Mm-hmm. What, what's like? What, what was a fun moment that just tickled you? I think that Carrie accomplished that for us by pulling out a pitch perfect, flawless Ariana Grande impression in the first five minutes we we were talking. And the to reason each other. for doing the impression was like totally was to explain justified. the speaking voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To explain the Glinda that. speaking voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ariana, if you're listening. Well, you, I was going to laugh at that, but Stephanie J is listening, so maybe so and is Ariana. Ariana would listen to this podcast. <laughs> she, she is a big fucking nerd. My favorite moment, not my favorite moment, mm-hmm. but one of my favorite moments was when she gave us the I'm not that girl analysis from Alphaba's point of view. Oh my God. Get you a girl who can do both, first of all. But I was like, she still, <laughs> she came on this podcast as our first Glinda, but she still understood the mission of the podcast. But what I thought was interesting was it's not necessarily the same thing as what Teal said when we had her yeah. on. Yeah, it was super interesting to hear like the two different takes on the song and both are so interesting, but they're so different. Oh yeah, I loved her reasoning of it's a song of acceptance, not of like mourning. Mm-hmm. It kind of is like in in her arc that she creates there. It's like that's kind of the beginning of Defying Gravity is that first moment of accepting like, Oh, okay. This, this, that's not the role that I'm meant to play in life. This is, yeah. and so then it's like she has that kind of little moment with herself. So then, when it happens on a larger scale in Defying Gravité, she's prepared wow. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, Carrie St. Louis just like totally added a new layer to Alphaba's journey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we did this, Kevin. Me too. I feel just like I feel when I'm back from intermission. At the Gersh. At the Gersh. I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's do act two. I feel like I'm I ready. learned a lot. Thank you, Carrie. I also feel like I learned a lot. So because we are recording this week of release and we already have next week's episode banked, I thought maybe we could give the listeners a hint as to who. <gasps> and you can come up with the hint, Kevin, as to who we have coming next week. But it needs to be obscure, like actually obscure. You really threw me with this, Quincy. I'm like, because now I feel all this pressure to come up with something fucking clever. No, it can be dumb. Okay. This alphabet that we're talking to next week mm-hmm. is most known, some would say, for an iconic rock musical, and some would say for being a mean girl. All right. Guys, let us know. Let us know. If you know, you know. And if you don't, you'll find out next week. Cut, print, moving on. We will see you guys. I speak know to I've you. Kept guys. you waiting. <laughs> this time that we've been creating. Uh, all right, I gotta go make some donations. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Sentimental Men. 
This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DeMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com. Or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. Oh my god, in... Um... What is she saying? Um, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who is he? Who is he? It's, me, me. it's so that good. That was good that we got that. <laughs> yeah.